public school systems are facing major cuts with Governor Matt Bevins' proposed budget. We're going to be discussing how the cuts will affect area districts and what they're trying to do to prevent any reductions in state funding. Stay with us. This is Inquire. All right, from the Mr. Inquire, I'm Don Wilkins, and joining me in the studio are education reporter Bobby Hayes and Owensboro School Superintendent Dr. Nick Brake. First, I want to start with Bobby Hayes, who covers education for the Messenger Inquirer. And Bobby, you've talked with most, if not all, of the superintendents in this region, uh, Davis, McLean, Ohio, Muhlenberg, and Hancock counties. So give us a sense of their reaction from the governor's proposed budget. I think it's safe to say that our area school administrators are very concerned. Um, As I've been talking with folks uh, and attending board meetings, I'm hearing words like peril, danger, extreme crisis, and even catastrophic um, in some cases. Um, If some of these proposed budget cuts were to follow through, some of the items in the governor's proposed budget uh, could cost districts millions of dollars. And I've even heard that they could, for all intents and purposes, bankrupt others and perhaps cause some closures. Um, Inevitably, such cuts would be detrimental to student learning in the Commonwealth. All districts are expressing concerns about the cuts, But are some worried more than others? Um, I think that's hard to say that uh, some are worried more than others because largely this is going to impact everyone. However, some districts have gone through some rougher waters than others in recent years, I would say, Um, and some who are already pinching their purses pretty tight. Um, An example of that would be Muhlenberg County, who had to face some pretty difficult decisions uh, when a few years ago They lost, I think it was $6 million or more due to the TVA decreasing its uh, in lieu of taxes payments to the district. All Kentucky districts rely on and count on those state dollars to help in educating our school children. But yeah, I'm sure there are some more than others that are going to be hurting. There are some who have already made cuts themselves and who hold no cash reserves or emergency funds for things like this. And those are the districts I think that would stand to lose the most. So are you getting a sense that local taxes will raise if these state cuts go through? Uh, I don't think raising taxes to counter these cuts would be beyond the realm of possibility. Uh, The money has to come from somewhere. You can't exactly get blood from a rock, as they say. As I've also said, learning uh, would directly be impacted because some districts, I'm sure, would have to cut expenses somehow, and that would include decreasing services for students and families, decreasing staff, and the cessation of uh, many programs, I'm sure. Now, Dr. Brake, uh, who has been on the front line of this issue, and Dr. Brake, I know you uh, earlier this week, you know, had a joint meeting with the Davis County Superintendent and and the Superintendent Association, and I think it was a school board association. So talk about the purpose of that meeting. We had a joint board meeting with the Davis County and the Owensboro Boards of Education to uh, agree on uh, five core funding priorities for our districts that we share and begin to advocate uh, at the state level to try to change some of the uh, direction. The state uh, is really uh, moving in a backward direction. You know, we, in the long view of this thing, Kentucky has come so far in the last 20 years, uh, and since the recession in 2008, uh, we're actually seeing uh, the level of our support from the state declining by about 15% if you account for inflation and account for increased uh, enrollment around the state, uh, larger student population to serve. 
uh, with a with a fixed amount of funding, uh, that equates really to about a 15% decline. So our boards uh, met to try to identify what were the key issues and what were the key talking points that when we go to Frankfurt and when we meet with our legislative delegation and when we uh, talk to the public, we can uh, advocate for these really important talking points as, as we move forward and try to reverse this trend and try to move in the direction of uh, when the General Assembly takes their uh, try at the budget, uh, that they do a, a little bit better job than the governor. Now, is this the first time you guys have had a joint meeting like this? Well, uh, our board attorney actually yesterday told me that he's been representing us since the early 60s, and it's the first time that he recalls having a joint session of those two boards of education and acting business at the same time. Sometimes we've met in groups to talk about joint programs and shared things. Obviously, the superintendents, Mr. Robbins and I work really closely together. Our staffs work really closely, but uh, those two boards actually meeting in a quorum uh, and and actually doing business and and. Uh, acting on something, I think it's it's the first time, certainly in many decades. So that that's just this just shows how serious you guys are taking. It, it does show the gravitas of the issue for sure. Bevan made the argument that the districts have this is all the combined districts have almost one billion dollars in cash reserves, aka contingency or rainy day funds, and school systems using those rainy day funds uh, to help out with this. Uh, budget issue. He said, and I quote, this is how we're going to get through this budget crisis. So how realistic is Bevins' argument to you, Dr. Brake? Well, it's it's a little bit irresponsible and uninformed, in my opinion. And, you know, if it's getting us through a couple of years, I think that that's maybe manageable. But the problem is, is the trend has not been uh, that that they're increasing funding or continuing to uh, to, to do their part to provide the level of support and adequacy that, uh, uh, that was put forth by the Rose decision in 1990. You know, our fund balance, and there's two different things that we're talking about. There's a contingency, which is about 5% of, of our uh, budget, our total budget, that we're supposed to keep uh, in reserve for a rainy day. And, that, and that's what I think the governor's referring to as a rainy day fund that they have at the state. Uh, you know, ours is about 6%. Uh, and we keep that for unintended and unknown things that might happen if we have a tornado, if we have a roof that we have to replace, or things that come up that might be acts of nature or things that we can't, you know, beyond our control. Uh, but then the fund balance is the money that's left over at, you know, month to month that changes. Um, our fund balance is high for a lot of reasons. First of all, uh, we're a smaller independent district, and so our enrollment can fluctuate a lot more. Uh, but we also try to keep it a little higher so that as our bonding uh, Moody's and S&P and all the uh, uh, bond raters say, uh, to, to try to keep six-month operating costs. And right now we're just below that. So we feel like it's important and financially responsible. Um, dipping into that for maybe one or two years wouldn't be a terrible thing. Uh, but dipping into it long term and changing the paradigm in which we use that and the way we operate I think would be irresponsible, and I think if you did that to every district, you'd see uh, bond ratings go down the tubes quickly, and that would be a major problem. So I know SIG funding and transportation are two funded concerns. Of course, transportation is a, is a state mandate. You know, we talk about these unfunded state mandates, yeah. and that's transportation is one of those that if they don't give you the money for you guys have to come up with it, even though they mandate it. Um, so explain the SIG funding and how... Uh, cutting both uh, the transportation and the SIG funding 
would affect the Owensboro School District specifically? Yeah, well, SEEK funding was uh, set up by the Rose decision in 1990, and it's a it's a basically a formula that operates per pupil, but it also operates to allow districts that have lower property values to have more equity so that those districts that are in poorer areas have adequate funding. Uh, we benefit from some of that because we have some pockets in our district that are low property valuation rates. So what we see uh, with a cut to seek and transportation is tied into seek. So really a cut to transportation is a cut to seek. So we're, we're interpreting this as not level seek funding, but a seek cut. The state has typically covered about 60% of the cost of transportation. Now, that started to drop in the last few years since the recession, uh, but the governor's proposal actually would cover about 28% of the cost of transportation, and that is, in my estimation, far far inadequate uh, and uh, certainly would transfer those costs to the local taxpayers in a very inequitable way. Now, there is a third concern here that has to do with this state employee health care match. Can you explain that a little bit? And, and here again, that's a transference of funding that has typically always taken place at the state level where the state has covered the full cost of health coverage for all the employees in public schools. And transferring that to the local districts, I think, would put particularly in districts that don't have the local capacity to raise money it would interfere with their ability really to provide that coverage and to provide adequate support. And, and in doing that, you're essentially taking money away from serving students directly. And I'm fearful that if these are enacted, uh, we will actually have an equity gap more deep than we had back in the 80s and the 90s that precipitated the uh, lawsuit and the Rose decision. I think that's a major concern, and I think that's one that a lot of superintendents are looking at. And even considering if these are enacted, uh, moving in the direction that many school districts moved in the late 80s, and that is uh, claiming that the state is not adequately doing its job of funding public education. Now, you're on your way to Frankfurt, is that correct? I am. So what can you tell us about anything from a legislative update perspective, and, and what are you hoping to accomplish there in Frankfurt? Well, uh, first of all, today we're going up, and uh, superintendents, uh, particularly in this region of the state, are meeting up in Frankfurt, and there is a, a reception tonight. The Kentucky School Board Association has some uh, activities tomorrow, and we'll be uh, doing some individual legislative meetings. We'll be attending the Senate Education Committee. Uh, there's not a lot going on right now because the filing deadline has really uh, hampered the uh, uh, lawmakers' willingness to jump into aggressively looking at different items of legislation. Uh, I'm expecting now that that's behind us, uh, that we'll start to see some things. I'm anticipating a, a pension bill. I'm hopeful that that pension bill will uh, be use a lot of the recommendations that the superintendents and education uh, advocates uh, put forth back in the fall, the shared responsibility model. That, I think, is a much um, more effective way uh, to deal with the problems, the, the cost problems in the pension system, but also not completely strip the system away to where we'll have a challenge attracting high-quality people to education in the future. How hopeful are you about uh, this situation with the proposed budget cuts? Do you think it's going to be as bad as the governor proposed? Do you think there'll be some meeting in the middle on this? I have confidence in the legislature that they'll look at this and see see what it is, see that it is a far inadequate uh, way to, to fund education. And perhaps the governor is trying to uh, inspire the legislature to uh, address the pension issue with this uh, set of proposals. And uh, so I'm hopeful that they will 
uh, try to find the revenue to provide adequacy for funding public education. You know, there are three important investments that drive the state economy, and it, research is overwhelmingly clear here. Uh, funding K-12 education, funding higher education, and funding public infrastructure. The states that do that to a larger level, to a larger degree, have the most healthy economies, the most prosperous states. So Kentucky is, is moving uh, the way of Kansas, where they have completely uh, cut their schools and, uh, you know, a new, new way to, to, to look at bleeding Kansas. And they actually had to go back and increase taxes because they cut them so far that the Supreme Court intervened. Um, if we're not careful, if this proposal is enacted and we see continuous uh, problems in our state, I think you'll see Kentucky uh, in that direction. And I'd rather see us go the direction of states that fully fund their public education uh, and their economies are healthy. And tax reform has to be a part of that equation at some point. It is an investment. And those states that are investing are the ones that have prosperous economies. All right, Mr. Brake, I appreciate your time this morning. And that will wrap up our show for this week. And I want to thank education reporter Bobby Hayes and Owensboro Superintendent Dr. Nick Brake for joining me. To send us questions or to provide feedback, email us at newscast at messenger-inquire.com. And remember, you can find us on the Messenger Inquire's website, its mobile app, and iTunes, where you can subscribe to Inquire. Until next time, I'm Don Wilkins. Say good day for Inquire. <laughs>